Could we turn to 1 Corinthians 12? First Corinthians 12, you, and I'm talking to you, talking to you, and your church, how's that relationship going? 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is... In other words, the reality is God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now think of this for a moment. At the right time, when you were ready, and when the church was ready for you, God brought you here. That's... That's profoundly wonderful. I wouldn't have gotten back to Denton after my wandering if God had not done it. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, this always gets me, it always challenges me. Those parts of the body that seem to be on a human level um, less honorable, We bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, in order that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Someone said this long ago, all of Christ's gifts are like him, spiritual and heavenly. 
Now think of this. God gave Christ for the church, and he gave Christ to the church in a marriage relationship. And he gave the church to Christ as a bride. So the Lord's given, he's given every church his word, his spirit, spiritual gifts, and one other important gift. Anybody want to guess what that is? You. He gave you to your church. And he counted that a wonderful, personal, glorious, loving thing. You as a part of your church. Now, Bible designations for the church, I was meditating on this not long ago. In the Old Testament, there's these phrases, God says, my people. A number of times, my people. And that word congregation, um, in the Old Testament under Moses, the congregation of the Lord. Um, in Ephesians 5, the marriage and bridal language of the bride and bridegroom. Uh, Hosea, Song of Solomon, same thing. Ephesians, we're the temple, he's the foundation. In Romans, we're the body, he's the head. So we being many are one body in Christ, Romans 12. So why did, why did the biblical writers use these terms? And why did Paul use this picture body? He takes a commonly used word and uses it to picture the church. Christ is the head and we're the body. Now, Paul doesn't have in mind of the physical head connected to this physical body. He's thinking in terms of authority, headship, um, ownership, and all that that implies. Christ, Ephesians 1, he said his head over all things to the church. So you, as a believer, are a gift to your church by Christ. And these elements involved... uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, and you also see it in, in uh, Romans 12 and even Ephesians 4 in a, in a measure. These elements involved that Paul addresses the nature and functioning of the church. Today my goal is I want you to leave here and to be more committed to your church, to see more of what R.B. Kuyper called the glorious body of Christ. She is glorious. And you are a part of that glory. You need to leave here, whether you're, you've been here since this church began in a living room, or if you're a college student, and you know, I'm here for a little while, leave today seeing how important your church is and your vital connection with your church. Let's think about Paul, some of the pr- things he says here in principles here in 1 Corinthians 12. Number one, here's a principle, individuals make up the whole. This church wouldn't be what it is without you. Individuals make up the whole. Number two, spiritual gifts in each member by the Holy Spirit sovereignly given. Number three, 
as we walk in love, those gifts work through each one of us for the benefit of all. And number four, then the church is edified and healthy. Nothing worse than an unhealthy church. Nothing more wonderful than a healthy church. Members and their spiritual gifts. Body parts with their design function working for the health of the body. When Paul helps the Roman church and the Corinthians to think about their church life, he wants them to see themselves as an individual component. Each is there for the whole and not just for themselves. And in doing that, he shows how important and valuable and necessary each individual member is. Do you feel that way in your church? I don't mean an arrogance. I don't mean self-centeredness. I mean, do you feel Christ has put me here as a member and my being here is valuable and I want my life to bless the church? Do you see yourself as, in, as important for your church? That's important. He wants us to hear and see how Christ sees every member. Well, how does Paul do that? By emphasizing specific truths, specific responsibilities for each one. Your importance and your place within the church. So, looking in 1 Corinthians 12, let's go back there to this passage and just let these tent pegs stick in the wall in our minds and hang our hearts on them and see them. What does Paul say to each of us about our being a part of the church? Look down in verses 19 through 22 of of chapter 12. Verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, etc. You see it. So what he's driving home here, among other things, is you are necessary for the church. Your life, your gifts, your presence, your faithfulness, you are necessary Maybe not as an elder or a deacon, or, but as a member. You're necessary. The church will lack without you if, if you've been placed here. You're, you as a part are not optional. The body will not be what it needs to be without you growing and contributing and loving and serving and praying and being faithful in attendance. I can think of Christians right now in in a church or in churches. They're not in leadership. They maybe don't do anything outwardly, but they are there faithfully. They're at the prayer meetings. They serve. They love the brethren. Their presence is real, and their presence and their walk is an example. And that is impactful to the life of that church. Though they never stand in a pulpit or they never do anything. Do you see yourself as a needed part and a necessary member? Answer the question before I move on. Do you see yourself as a necessary, needed body 
part. Do you? You are, if you're a believer. You're necessary, Paul says. Secondly, you are not only needed, you're gifted. If I asked someone in Hannibal, I said, what is your spiritual gift? And he said, well, trying to be faithful to come to the meetings. I said, that's not a spiritual gift. Give me a chapter and verse on that. Well, faithfulness is a fruit, right? But he couldn't, he couldn't target and name, maybe I'll put him too much on the spot, his spiritual gift at the moment. All believers are gifted with one or more spiritual gifts, right? And we can't study them to figure out necessarily, oh, this, this is mine, I'll choose this one, because God gives those gifts. But on this point about being gifted, when you were converted, among other things, God began to build in you and put in you spiritual gifts, maybe one, maybe more. And if I said to any of you, who's got the gift of teaching here? You could answer it. Who's got a gift of serving here? You could answer it. Who's, who's an encourager? You could answer it. But here's the deal. What's your gift? Do you know? If not, why not? Now, I'm not saying you have to fully know and understand it all for your gift to be working but you recognize, and it's a liberating thing and free, frees you up from comparing yourself with anybody else. If you know, I'm confident with peace, this is how God wants to use me in the church, and I'm going to do it. Without applause, without credit, without anything, I want to function in the way God has gifted me. Now, I want you to think, overview briefly about spiritual gifts. There's four words used in the New Testament. Uh, gifts, even the word ministry, uh, activity, and manifestation. There may be more. Now, you're, if you're a Christian, you are a charismatic. Just the right kind. Not the fake kind not the counterfeit kind, you're the real deal because you have the Holy Spirit. You're a spiritually gifted believer. 1 Corinthians 12, there are nine spiritual gifts mentioned. The word of knowledge, word of wisdom, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation. In Ephesians 4, there's four mentioned, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers and Romans 12 there's seven mentioned prophecy service teaching leading or leadership exhortation giving mercy that's 20 in those three chapters and it's probably not an exhaustive list at all but one or more spiritual gifts you've been given as a Christian and your gift is needed the spirit-enabled ability, supernatural, spiritual life that flows through a gift that's manifested through you, that enables you to minister the life of Christ and the fruits of the Spirit in a way that edifies the church. 
I like those phrases in the Old Testament. And the Spirit of God came upon the prophet and he prophesied. The Spirit and the gift. You have a gift or gifts. And the church is built up and edified by your gift and not just a few. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Let's just read that real quickly. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Let's, let's hear it. Having gifts then that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That's the emphasis. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who gives in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Use them. Use them, Paul says. Having then gifts differing according to the grace or gifts given unto us, let us use them. Are you? You and your church, how's that going with your use of your gifts? Are you lazy about it? Do you settle in and you say, you know, the the pastors and the deacons, they have real tangible experience. I hadn't been given anything to do, so I don't know what to do. So I I can just go be passive and receive and be there and that's enough. Well, no. You're to use your gifts. You should pray about this. And you should ask the Lord, Lord, equip me, show me, empower me, and make my life a blessing how you want to. And He will. Increasingly. As a spirit... And this is important. As a spirit-gifted member of the body, the primary gift you have been given is what? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit, the promise of the Father was given to you in your conversion. You were given the gift of the Spirit. And so... His fruits are to be real through your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and faithfulness. These fruits in your life, because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, are to affect others. And that is ministry. And that's body life. And if you just walk in the Spirit and you bear the fruits of the Spirit relationally, and most of those are relational, aren't they? You will minister to those around you. I've often thought of a man or a lady or a brother or sister, and they don't know I'm thinking that. What a blessing he is. What What a blessing she is. Her spirit, her thoughtfulness of others. So you as a Spirit gifted member must function for the welfare of your church. You must seek God about this. You must obey Him. What evidences of gifts are in you? What area or service motivates you, stirs you, produces desire? 
in you? What's in your heart to be and to do in the building up of your church? Use your gifts not for yourself, but for the building up of the church. The point is, you're gifted, you're needed, use your gifts. Now, as a body, our churches, we have a bond by the Holy Spirit. It's a real relational connection with one another. And we can sin against that. We can hurt it, can't we? You don't relate rightly to each other. You don't treat one another rightly. You're selfish or you're unforgiving or you get bitter. It breaks relationships. And so we are bonded relationally to one another and we must pursue. We must cultivate. We must manage our stewardship of our relationship with our church and cultivate that increasingly by good relationships, fresh, healthy relationships. I can say here this morning, by God's grace, all of my elders, my elders, my fellow elders, our deacons, every family in our church, every person in our church, there's no relational problem. We love each other. There's freshness. I can see them and I can hug them and there's joy in the relationship. That's what we must have for a healthy church life and for you and your church relationship to function well. Why must a Christian be a real devoted part of his church? The biggest reason is that is God's will in Scripture and it's a big point of obedience. If you're a student and you leave Kirksville two years from now, a year from now, four years from now, wherever you go, determine where you'll live, not only by what job you get, if there's a church there. It'd be bad if you were growing, 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 excited about the gospel, and you move somewhere and take a great job, there's no biblical church there, you'd start withering. You'd start being spiritually needy. I remember a brother who got a job teaching and it came down to three places. And he chose the town that had the best church in it. And he's doing, doing well spiritually now. So why must a Christian be a real and devoted part of his church? That is the will of God for every Christian. Secondly, your church is your source of spiritual health and growth. Mike, how much would you have grown in these years without your church? We know, don't we? Me too. How much have you grown by being a part of your church? You know the answer. Every, every Christian has been given the Bible and the and the gift of prayer, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and their church. And Christ has given you as a part of your church to be a real part of it. We're not our own. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we've been given to the church. 
Think about your life. We shouldn't even view our life individually and our families in the kingdom as our own. God saved us to give us to the church. Remember when Paul says, I don't, in Philippians, I don't know, I long to go be with Christ, and I'm, I'm torn, I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place, whether to go be with Christ or to remain here. But he said, but I'm convinced I'm going to stay here. Why? For your sake, for the sake of the church. Not to make money, not to be famous, not to accomplish my individual personal goals. I struggle thinking about dying and leaving my six children and my ten grandchildren in this world. I struggle. It depresses me some days. But you know what? God doesn't want to leave me here permanently just for the sake of my children and grandchildren. He's going to leave me here for the kingdom until he's done with me. And you'll, you'll hear, Mac died, went to be with the Lord. We're here for the kingdom's sake. That's why you're here. And so our life is not just for our family. It's here for his church. So my encouragement to you is as you look at your life and you are honest with how's my relationship with the church, make sure your heart is freshly joined and committed to your church. Giving yourself, be engaged with the church in all its life because you have what your church needs and they have what you need. A Christian should make it his goal to be the most committed, faithful, loving, giving member of the body. Don't be inconsistent with your church life. Don't be out on the fringe. I've seen so many stay on the fringe and they don't do well. They're afraid, they're timid, they're shy. They don't like... They don't like groups and they'll come and be in the meeting and then they'll leave. If God's put you here, don't stay on the fringe. Have the courage to talk to some people. Get to know people. They won't bite. You're in a loving, welcome atmosphere. Now, I want to say something to the old timers. <laughs> Do not grow weary in continuing loving your church. Run well with your church to the end. I remember in junior high school, I used to run the one of the relay races. It was like the the mile relay. And I was, I think I was the last leg, but I remember it was a gut race. Do you ever run the quarter, the, the mile relay? Or, that's a, it's just a gut race. I mean, your, your sides ache. Anyway, I remember what helped me finish was when I'd come around and I'd see, I'd see the finish line. I'd see the tape and I'd say, 
It's just that far. I can make it. Some of you have been here and you so faithfully endured, persevered the hard times. And you got to run well to the end. Like Moses, let your spiritual vision stay clear and your spiritual strength continue. Psalm 92, I love what it says to the old. The righteous are to flourish and grow, planted in the house of the Lord, still bearing fruit in old age, full of sap and green. Your church will need you till you die. And to those of you who've been here two to ten years or whatever, right? Don't grow complacent in your church life. The honeymoon and newness of being in a more biblical church is wonderful, and then that kind of starts fading, right? It fades, and you become used to being here. Unconsciously, you can begin to take it for granted. First, the first month you were here, man, that sermon was fantastic. I can't believe it. This is so wonderful. I've never had such good preaching. I'm so thankful. Now, how was the sermon? It was good. The attitude of gratitude is gone. And you didn't even realize it. You're used to it. Don't grow complacent. Take your church life to a new level. Shift into higher gear and love it. How can I, how can we engage our brethren more than ever to be a blessing? If you're in these years. Well here's a novel idea. What if you said to your wife or your husband. Hey. We've never done this. We could do this. Let's plan regularly to have every family. In the church. Or every single person. Over. Feed them. Love them. And pray for them before they leave. What if it takes. One time a month. A couple times a month. Till you get done with everyone. Have any of you ever thought of doing that? You could do that. Every one of you can do that. You single people, invite a couple out for coffee and ask them to buy because you don't have any money. <laughs> They'll do it. Be, be with them. Be with them. Some of you have never been with each other, I bet. Being able to do for the whole church what you can do. Let brotherly love continue and do not be forgetful to show hospitality. I know it says to strangers, but if we're not hospitable with each other. And to those who are new here and to you students. Seize the moment. See the huge blessing 
that the Lord may have brought you here secondly to go to Truman or what's the medical school? Secondly for that, but primarily you didn't know it, Lake Road Chapel. Because your education here is more important than the one over there. Seize the moment. God has brought you here for such a time as this for growth, encouragement, help, learning what true fellowship and true church life is, experiencing what real pastors who actually care about you and are there relationally when you need them, see what you've got before you and say to yourself, I'm here another year. I'm here another four years. And do not be timid and hold back. Don't lurk in the shadows of the church. Come out in the light. Get to know others. At the meal table. A couple of years ago, our single men in our church, we have a breakfast on Saturday morning. No holes barred. What do you guys want to talk about? One of them's here. Josh, hold your hand up. Josh came up. Meet him before you leave. Before we leave, Monday. You were you there that morning? First, first. So, I had noticed. I'm really off track now, but I think it'll be helpful. (laughs) I'd noticed all these single guys in the church and all these single girls never talk to each other. Wouldn't get around each other. Oh, they might think I'm flirting. Oh, somebody might think I'm out of place. Never talk to each other. So this meeting, I said, okay, guys, here's the topic. You never talk to any of these girls. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Stop it. They don't have leprosy. Be friendly. Get in line at lunch and say, or sit down at one of the lunch tables and say, hey, I've never heard your testimony. Share it with me. And I'll share mine with you. You know what? Two years later, two of those guys were married to two of the girls. At least I've helped somebody (laughs) twice in these 40 plus years. Listen. You young people, you students, you pursue... These, brethren, you have for now. Sit down at the meal table and ask them, can I sit with you? I've never visited with you. I'd like to to hear your testimony. Don't, students, don't just come to Sunday morning. If this is your church, make the prayer meeting. Make the studies. Make the home groups. Relationally connect. Because you need the brethren and they need you. Redeem the opportunity here and now that God has graciously given you. Make your church life as important as your college education now. Because this is kingdom's eternal stuff. Long after you can't even find where your diploma is gathering dust. So, in closing... What can you be more for your church? What can you do more? How can you serve more? How can you pray more? Encourage your pastors. When was the last time you said to Mason or Andrew or Dick or Charles, and I know he's retired, just, I know all that, 
So you think, I don't know it, I do know it. But when was the last time you said to one of them, you sent a text, an email, a call, and you said, I want you to know that message really helped me. That's huge for an elder. It means a lot. It encourages us to keep going. It makes us feel at times, well, at least they weren't all duds. Sometimes the labor is actually helping. Communicate with your elders. Love and support. Treasure and cherish your church. How is that relationship going? How will it be six months from now? A year from now? You can make it better. You can make it deeper. You can make it richer. If you love the glorious body of Christ. I want us to sing a hymn. The church is one foundation. We can sing it, can't we, without a piano? piano? I can't even say it, much less. Come on down. <laughs> the church is one foundation. Now as you sing this, let the, the reality of it be real in your hearts about you and your church.